This podcast is sponsored by Enriched. Now, if you're a regular listener to the show, then you'll know that I'm not a big fan of Big Pharma. So I do everything I can to try and stay out of their sickness subscription system. And a key component in my daily arsenal is a dose of what I'm calling the White Basement Lion King Super Stack. First, chugga mushroom, known as the king of mushrooms for a reason. Its potent antioxidant, antiviral, immune-supporting properties make it the most studied medicinal mushroom on earth. And although there can be only one king, the king wears a mane, a lion's mane. Brain-boosting, neuron-sharpening, cognition-enhancing, lion's mane is the perfect partner for King Chaga and the second half of the Lion King Super Stack. For me, it's the perfect start to my day helping me to go hard and go home. Go to enriched.co, that's E-N-R-I-C-H-D.co, and use the discount code WHITEBASEMENTPOD to get a 10% discount site-wide. Start your day like a king. Go to Enriched and grab the Lion King Super Stack now. I'm teaching myself, or I'm learning myself, like how how can look at these girls as like as as my friends you know rather than opponents where it's been that's been a thing that I have kind of had to I suppose dictate in my own brain so this has been like really it was a really interesting challenge with the rise of women's open mats and women's uh, only stuff and everything and I love sorry I love getting proved wrong like I was saying to Jolie earlier that like I was a bit nervous about Enyo kind of because of that like what is there like a hundred girls like oh the bitchiness the gossipness I just I had put all that assumptions onto this event just from my previous experience but then when we went it was the most wholesome day I've ever had you know it was I was I loved being proved wrong and I think hopefully as I keep proving my uh, the assumptions that I make I as the assumptions that I make about these things, once they keep getting proven, they get proven wrong enough that I'll be able to kind of, okay, be comfortable in that, in those scenes, you know. Hey guys, welcome to another episode of the White Basement Podcast. Follow the show on Instagram at White Basement Pod. Find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And if you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button and subscribe so that you never miss an episode. And please do share the show. It helps us to grow. My guest today is Rosa Walsh. She's the first ever female black belt from Cork, Ireland. She's the first black belt promotion by Fionn Davis and the youngest female black belt in Ireland. Rosa has won championships at the Pan Ams, ADCC, Nogi Euros, Grapple Fest, Polaris, and Who's Number One. And she's currently on an international seminar tour sharing her jiu-jitsu with the world. Rosa, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun so far, and I'm excited for what you have to offer. And, and Jolie's back again. Oh, God. Jolie, <laughs> Jolie my fixer. <laughs> So, um, yeah, thank you for coming in. It's, it's, it's really uh, amazing to get you in the studio. I know you're busy and you're off to the airport soon to fly home. How did you guys connect? Because J- Jolie, as with many guests on my <laughs> <Yeah>. podcast, <laughs> said, oh, I've got someone else who, who, who you should talk to, talk to Rosa. So how did, how did you guys meet? I have known Jolie for years, just kind of like we've known who each other are, just through the jiu-jitsu scene and as well, like, I used to train with a friend of Jolie's in Cork back when I was like kind of blue and purple belt. So like 
I think the community in the UK and Ireland is so small in jiu-jitsu, and especially then within the female jiu-jitsu community, it's like, we kind of know who each everyone, who, who everyone is, you know, and then I, I don't actually remember meeting you at the very start, but it's kind of like, I'd always see her, like, competitions are just through, like, whatever, like, social media stuff, then vice versa, and it's happened so much where, I guess, with the rise of, so, rise of social media, it's been, like, you know who this person is, but you've never actually met them, you know? And it's so weird that you know so much about them via Instagram or whatever. But when it comes to actually knowing the human, like, you've never actually met them, which is such a weird dynamic to have. But, yeah, so then when Jolie invited me for the seminar today, she was like, oh, come be on this, the, the podcast. I was like, sure, absolutely. And, and so the, the, the seminar <laughs> thing, um, you're on a kind of a seminar tour for a, about six months? Yeah. So what, what prompted because that, that's maybe a little bit of a departure from the just sort of intense training for competition that you've been doing. Um, I think it was there's like maybe three reasons melded in one. Like, in honest, in all honesty, first of all, obviously it was to make money. Second of all, it was I really do love coaching, and like I qualified as a secondary school teacher after university, so I was working as a teacher uh, for about two years. Um, and then when I, I suppose my contract ended and I went professional in jiu-jitsu, like I hadn't really taught in a few years and I did it as my full-time job. So now coming back into this, I think this, this seminar tour, it's like, it's so exciting for me to have that challenge again of like, what's the best way of structuring the seminar? What's the, um, like, how do these people learn? Like, how can I change my teaching in accordance with how they learn? But like based on all the philosophies that I learned in college, you know, like it's so cool to have that challenge again. And as well, like, I'm kind of just burnt out from competing. That's the third reason. Like, it's the, the four or five months previous to December, like, when I suppose the season would end, essentially. It was just so, like, intense, as you said. Like, I, like when I came back from Nogi Euros in December, I was like, I don't even like Jiu-Jitsu anymore, you know? So the teaching was a nice, I suppose, stray away from that without losing it completely. So maybe um, if 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 we can rewind a little bit, how how did you find jujitsu? Get into jujitsu. What's your what's your sort of uh, martial arts journey? So I started uh, boxing when I was about fourteen, following the rise of Casey Taylor, you know, our nation superstar in Ireland. And then I was boxing for like maybe two years. Like it was fine. Kind of fell out of love with it a little bit. It, because I was only using maybe, I suppose, two limbs rather than my ideal all the limbs that you use in jiu-jitsu. Uh, and then I went into Thai boxing. I was there for the bones of a year. And then, it's not very, like, feministic, but... Fem- feminist? Feministic? I don't know if that's a word. Making up words. Making up words. Yeah. All left, right, and centre. <laughs> but then, so in the gym where I was doing the, the Thai boxing, I was the guy I, I liked did jiu-jitsu, and I was like, I'm going to start jiu-jitsu. <laughs> So it was kind of like, I just did it because the guy I had a crush on like um, was doing it. So I was like, oh. Was yeah. that in the same gym? The same gym, yeah. So he was training jiu-jitsu, I was training Thai boxing, and I was like, eh, Thai boxing, it's, there's too much cardio involved. <laughs> but I, lo- no, I love Thai boxing. But um, then with jiu-jitsu, it was kind of like, oh, this looks interesting. What the hell are they doing? And he was doing it. So I was like, yeah, let's go. So then that was December 2014. And so how old would you have been then? Roughly? Seventeen. Seventeen. Yeah. So snowballed into what it is now. <laughs> yeah. You're what? Are you twenty six six now? So yeah. nine years ago. Yeah. This would be my tenth year doing it. Yeah. So so, 
You started training a couple of times a week, a little bit? No, nope, straight in. Oh, you, you I go. was in fifth year in secondary school, so second last year in Irish, the Irish education system. So, like, that's the year where there's no exams, but it's a lot of, like, I suppose there's a lot of content in terms of the schooling system. Uh, so then it was, I started it for once the year, and then every day as much as I could. And then I went into my final year where it will be an examination year. And I just kept training, you know, and it was so cool because, like, if I have kids in the future, it's so nice that I have that experience of, I was training like a professional athlete at age 18 while I was also doing my final exams. And, like, I did extremely well in my exams and I maintained my level as, as a competitive athlete. So I think it was so cool that I had that going into my final year and then going into university as well is, like, it just, yeah, kind of, like, it just molded so well into my life and from that first training session, which I remember I was paired with like a 12-year-old boy, and I was like 17, I was like, yeah, like who is this little child? And it was just like wrapping me up with all these like whatever lapels and grips and everything. So kind of from there, I was like, I am so terrible at this. I'm so whatever this silly sport is, but the only way I can get better at it is just turn up every day, you know? So yeah. And, and so how f- sort of far through the, the training and into the journey before you started to think... I could do this instead of a real job. Honestly, just like when the opportunity presented itself, like I never did it for that reason. I just did it because I liked it. It was so challenging and it was like, it was, I thought it was an outlet as well, as cheesy as that is, where it was kind of like you're just brain switches off and it's like there's so many like immediate challenges being presented to you. But then uh, at the start of 2022, like, I was working in a school and my contract was ending that, like that April. Um, and I went, I got the opportunity to go to the US to train and compete. And I was like, look, contract is ending. I have this opportunity. I had some money saved. I was like, let's do it. So I kind of took the risk and went for it. And then like, it's come up on two years since then. Um, and it's been just amazing. You know, it's like everything that the people that I started training with had like, like, oh, this is, could be a possibility. They were all like, yeah, I want to go and like live full time through jiu-jitsu and like go and travel and compete and train. Like I never had that in my brain. I just want, I just loved the, the sweet science as they, as they say. And then I think because I never cared about anything else in terms of like the Instagram, the followers, like the social media, like everything that's off the mat in terms of that. I think that's what made me giving the opportunity even more so because I was doing it for maybe more not selfless that sounds really weird but like I just did it because the jiu-jitsu there was nothing else involved and I guess that was one of the reasons why I was like this is cool let's just do it see what happens <laughs> and so so how how long did you train initially then before you started to compete oh three months my first competition was uh after like three months and it was in a white and blue this is a, this is the she'll show you how little girls were training in Ireland at the time like it was a white and blue belt mixed division um, and I fought uh, Renuk, who we, me and Jolie were speaking about earlier, um, who luckily had been training the similar amount, the exact same amount of time. I think she was maybe a month over. She'd been tra- starting, she started four months earlier, whereas I started three months earlier. And like, I think when you, when I never, like I was 17, like I didn't know any better. When I didn't overthink it and when I didn't like, oh my God, okay, if she does this, what do I do to her, to 
counteract that when I wasn't overanalyzing it. It was just very, very instinctual. And I won my first match, which was great. And then I fought a blue belt in the final and was put to sleep. <laughs> so it was just a very, it was a whirlwind of emotions that day. But it was just so cool because it was something I, like, it was, like, I wasn't, I was, I was wrecked physically, but, like, I wasn't out of breath. And it was just such a, as you would be, like, after a jiu-jitsu match or, like, after a hard roll, it's, like, it's just such an inch, it's, like, it's, like, a such a deep fatigue. Yes. But you're, like, sometimes you're not even sweating, like, it's just, like, you're, all your muscles are clenched. So it was just it was a really fascinating experience, but I think as well one of the great things that I experienced because I was only 17, like, and this was, a, the competition was on the weekend, I was going back to school on Monday morning, so it wasn't like I dwelled too much on it, about being put to sleep, <laughs> it was like, alright, that's done, on to the next one, and it really helped me in my approach towards competing towards the next couple of years, because it wasn't my only thing, it wasn't my jiu-jitsu, it was life, jiu-jitsu was everything, it was like, this is my hobby, I like it, it's really, really hard, but I gotta do my leaving search now, on Monday, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think as well at that at that age, I say at that age, I can bear. Can you? How old are you? You're a bit younger than me. Can you remember being seventeen? I can barely remember. <laughs> yeah, being I can 17. remember being seventeen. Man, I, it's such a long time ago. It was a long time ago for me, but yeah, I kind of remember. <laughs> I, I, I think at that age, you're much more kind of just. Most things are a new experience. Whether you're competing or whether you're doing exams or it's a new subject or you've got a boyfriend or you're whatever, like pretty much every day is like, oh, this, this, this wasn't here before. Like yeah. some, you know, mm -hmm. it's kind of, you're, you're in that, in that, um, that zone of, of kind of experiencing new stuff very regularly. So it probably makes it much easier to kind of dive mm -hmm. into something, you know, whereas at, at my age, if I do something that's completely new, like I need to, a month to like process it and yeah. kind of absorb it. I mean, is this something I want in my life? I'm not sure. Yeah. You know, how did it make me feel? But yeah, I guess I guess being younger, it's it's, it's easier to to dive into that. So, I listened to your black belt promotion, Fionn giving you the black belt, and she made a little speech, and you made a little speech, and there was um, there was definitely a sort of a, a couple of themes that I picked up which you kind of have, have touched on already so one is the kind of um, difficulty additional hurdles let's say um, being a woman doing jiu-jitsu and potentially maybe being a woman just doing sport but certainly doing jiu-jitsu and the second was um, coming from Cork in Ireland maybe sports and doing stuff a little bit outside of the box is not super encouraged for for women um so how have you how have you found um training and competing and doing really well within a quite a male dominated sport great question um and i suppose it's like as in some ways it's been asked so many different ways by different people and there's no real definite answer you know because everybody's different experiences like when i started in 2014 uh, i was obviously 17 like i was training with all guys and i didn't <laughs> a girl didn't come into the gym until maybe 2018 so i was there for the ones of three years and yeah like in my in the night classes like on my own you know and I, I think maybe it was because my age, like similar enough to what you said, but I just, like, I, it didn't bother me. 
I was like, I didn't see them as like, oh my god, that's a boy. It was like, they're my training partners, you know. So I had a really, really great experience uh, in terms of how I was treated for the majority of my jiu-jitsu career. So first of all, I think it's important for me to recognize that. But then it's like, I'm not stupid in, in terms of, I know that there is other people who've experienced terrible things because of the fact that they're a woman and the sport and stuff like that. But for me at the start... I was given, I was welcomed a lot. All my achievements were were definitely um, recognised the same, if not more than the guys, you know? Because, like, I did very well as a coloured belt. From this, like, what I loved, and I will always cherish it so much, is I loved being the person who came from this shitty little gym in Cork with about 15 people who went on. Like, I won the, the Nogi Euro Absolute Division as a blue belt, you know? And it was like, I had two training partners for that camp, you know, and it was like, I love that underdog mentality. And I think that has really helped me in all aspects of my jiu-jitsu career since I've gone like professional or whatever. But I think in terms of the, the like the coach that I had, uh, Felipe, he had a daughter who's about two or three years younger than, my, than me. So he had a lot of experience in dealing with a teenage girl who then was going, um, who was like I was seventeen, I was going towards like early adulthood and he he knew like yeah, I don't even know how to phrase this, but like it was never a case of like, yeah, you're you get kicked out if you're being like a bitch or whatever. Like he just knew how to deal with it very well because obviously he had his own daughter and like it was never a case of I had to I was like being kept in the sauna or whatever, you know, trying to cut those last few pounds. Like I never had any bad experiences. Like that's why I was really, really lucky. And then as I, as I progressed towards like purple and brown belt, you know, these women's women's only classes and women's women's open mats started becoming a thing. And I think for me, like, I loved the idea of it. I was like, yes, like go girls, whatever. But then when I went to them and stuff, I was like, oh my god, I feel like I feel, and this is such, this is no, like nobody, I don't know, maybe like more. I haven't spoken about it with enough people of like higher belts, but like I was like, I've, I had no experience with it. I was so uncomfortable. I was like, the last time I'd been around this many girls was when I was in secondary school and I was getting bullied by girls, you know. And it was like so like, as not like it's. I don't mean to use this like in a in a was in a in a very innocent way but like it was very triggering because I was like oh my god like there's so many like these girls around there's like what like 50 girls I haven't had this experience in a jiu-jitsu setting where that was like my my safe zone or whatever so I think in the last say two or three years it's been a case of recognizing what are the barriers that other girls have experienced and as well as that getting more comfortable with having girls on the mat and in Ireland especially there's the female scene, as we saw in Enyo with the Irish team, is booming. Like, couldn't be getting any better. Like, we have so many incredible girls. And now it's, like, I suppose I'm teaching myself or I'm learning myself, like, how can I not look at... How can I look at these girls as, like, as as my friends, you know, rather than opponents, where it's been that's been a thing that I have kind of had to, I suppose, dictate in my own brain. So it's just been, like, really... It was a really interesting challenged with the rise of women's open mats and women's uh, only stuff and everything and I love oh, sorry I love getting proved wrong like I was saying to Jolie earlier that like I was a bit nervous about Enyo kind of because of that like what is there like 100 girls like oh the bitchiness the gossip I just I had put all that assumptions onto this event just from my previous experience but then when we went 
it was the most wholesome day I've ever had. You know, it was I was I loved being proved wrong, and I think hopefully as I keep proving my I, the assumptions that I make I as the assumptions that I make about these things, once they keep getting proven, they have proven wrong enough that I'll be able to kind of, okay, be comfortable in that, in those scenes, you know. So yeah, that went off on a massive tangent. <laughs> what, but it's interesting because it is a, there is a very different dynamic, training with men and training with women, mm-hmm. I'm assuming as a woman, certainly as a man. Um, I mean, my, we were there at the, the seminar today. My wife trains. Um, we've got a little mat at home, so we train at home a couple of days a week, and we go to club and train and, and whatever. But it's certainly different for me training with women than training with guys because I'm I'm trying to be a little bit um, aware that I might be heavier, I might be stronger, I might have slightly different physical attributes. So trying not to kind of not not saying not to go hard that's kind of not not really the right way to to think about it but i mean i'm interested to to know from from your experience what what if any you find the differences are between training with guys or training with women um i think it really depends i suppose on the specific training partner itself whether it be male or female like i was saying to jolie earlier about like the camp that i had for nogi euros um i was in cork for the six weeks coming up to it and like i didn't like i had both male and female training partners but for instance the the training the male training partners that i had and these are the training partners that i've had for the last nearly 10 years were small males that sounds terrible okay there's no shade on them at all but it was like men who were between 60 maybe 75 kilos at a most uh colored belts you know no shade to the white belts at all but it was people who were able to like you said they were able to move with me not use their weight and be a scumbag because there's definitely a line there in terms of rolling with guys especially as as black belts where it's like i'm gonna get the i'm gonna get i'm gonna submit the black belt woman by fucking like just above chest pressure or something you know and there's and like there's a lot of ego involved which is why i think i'm a massive advocate of like you're like say no to a role you know you don't have to say yes to everybody um but i think in terms of the training partners that i had it's like light feathered lightweight males and then for females the ones that i had for nokioros were blue and purple belt females but they're just maybe a little bit heavier and i think in terms of the body type is that like I had because girls are like they use their weight a lot different and I had that with those girls that I had in Beach State Cork where I was training they were able to like they have a lot more like they have a lower center of gravity and they were able to lose use use wow I have so bad to be able to talk they were able to use their pressure a lot differently they're able to kind of like they understand that like that girls hips are so mobile so like the girls were able to give me reactions that were more realistic to what I was going to be facing up against but then in terms of the boys like I had um the, the main coach or two of the main coaches in BJJ Cork they'd be one would be a featherweight one would be a, light, a lightweight uh Liam Beecher and Julian Pham Zhuang I think I made that Julian 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 and then there was and then there was a couple in team FM Marcelo he is the exact same weight as me so there was those three like they give me the technique then that those other girls don't have 
So I think rolling with those those men who had the technique similar to me, or definitely more, you know, um, and as well having the reactions from the girls, I think was just somehow blended into having a perfect understanding, not perfect, but like into a good understanding of what I was coming up against. And I think which is making it, like I suppose, a connection to the jiu-jitsu world or whatever, is that's what Mikey Musumeci does, is he doesn't have any high-level training partners, obviously by his sister, who's a superstar, but he has a handful of, like, blue and purple belts. He teaches them all the escapes, and then he troubleshoots them for himself, you know? And I think it's a really interesting system that he uses, because, like, he can teach the five reactions that he knows from, I don't know, from a crucifix. What are the five things that that person can do? He'll teach them all the reactions, and he'll get them to give him that reaction when he rolls, and that's it. And what he does then is, like, he doesn't necessarily have somebody who was better than him or similar in level to him in terms of technique, but he is creating the environment for himself where it's, it's like, he is getting all the information he needs through his own doing, if that makes sense. So in terms of kind of... Um choosing training partners let's say mm-hmm. if you had kind of complete carte blanche you could pick whoever you need guys girls whatever kind of training you need do, do you think there there is then um the most benefit in being able to train with some girls and some guys or if you had high level girls who were similar weight to you and you know you guys were were, were able to kind of um push each other because because it's more even, do, do you think that would be preferable? Um, great question. I never really thought about that. Because it, I'm guessing it's probably, for most people, very difficult to actually set up, like, this is exactly what I want. I want yeah. this size people on a Tuesday and I want these size people oh, later in the week yeah. and closer to the dates and whatever. But I'm just wondering if you, if you actually think that that kind of uh, blend that you've got guys and girls, mm-hmm. coloured belts, slightly heavier women to train with, etc. Whether you feel actually that's it's kind of optimum mm. or, or do you think, you know, it can be refined even more? Um, because I, I think a lot of people possibly who will listen to this, who, who either compete or have ambitions of competing, will be looking for a little bit of guidance towards, okay, like if I'm picking a club, kind of what should I be looking for? Like what, what should I be kind of leaning towards mm. if I've got a, a few different options? Yeah, I think um, for me, like straight off the bat, like the top of my head, like I, I don't know, maybe it's because my the experience that I've had, like I have never had the opportunity to train with just women, you know? And I think that... Um, it's something that I hopefully will be able to get there in the future. You know, it'll be really cool to be able to have like a female competition team. But I think with with um with my experience that I've had, I and if we were saying like if we could pick with any ideal training partner is that like or I partners is I would have probably light feather feather males and like middleweight, which is my weight that I that I compete at, and um, middleweight females because I think it gives you both options then in terms of um uh, the was training runs. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about, um, which was the, the beginning of that sort of two-part question from early on, was you you, you had kind of referenced um, not necessarily being encouraged or being pushed where you grew up, and that that's sort of a, a little bit surprising maybe to me because I don't have kids, but I have two nieces. 
and they get pushed a lot in terms of doing sports and various different mm. things. They, I, I don't really see that they get um, held back at all. Do, do you think that that's a sort of um, like a geographical thing? There's certain places where women are discouraged from doing certain things. Because I, I, I mean, I don't know even what your experience is because you teach kids. Mm-hmm. Um, whether you feel like kind of these days, mostly women are encouraged and allowed to kind of do whatever they want. Um, but, but that wasn't necessarily your experience when you were younger, when you were starting out? Um, I think in terms of like what the whole, the thing with what, I assume this is about the fee when Fionn was talking. Yeah, yeah. Um, like I know she had that experience. Like for me, like I said, I was, um, I was quite lucky in the fact that the coach they had was like, I was like, look, just I'll be here if what if you want to just train once a week, once a day, three times a day. He I I got was very lucky with the experience that I had, and even with my mom, like she would be a very active person herself. So she was kind of like, yeah, just like very kind of laissez faire. It was like just do whatever, like do as much as you want, as little as you want. Just don't be like don't be stuck at home on like on, like watching TV. You know that would be her worst nightmare because like I grew up in West Cork, which would have been very like rural, like very like holistic and stuff so when we moved to the city in Cork City it was like just don't be those kids who are stuck inside all day every day you know so I think obviously I had grown up in a great like very healthy way so then in terms of when I started jiu-jitsu it was like I was very independently motivated because I just I just liked it you know and I have a bit of an obsessive nature I think I was speaking about it with somebody at the seminar but like just gone from one in like extreme of a sport to another and it was like it's like oh my god I just I want to get good at this but I can't brush this and I te- like, think with jiu-jitsu which is so great for somebody who is, can get quite obsessed with things is it just teaches you patience you know I would have loved to walk in on the first day of jiu-jitsu and be the best you know but nobody is you know it's just a case of like day by day like gradually getting better sometimes you get worse there's like there's, there's lulls and there's waves of it but I think my introduction to jiu-jitsu in terms of like being a female was it was actually really positive and I only realized that when I had which was unfortunate I only when I had compared it to other people's experiences like with Fionn and there's all obviously other girls that have experienced not very nice introductions to jiu-jitsu but for me I I was ne- not that I was never made feel like a girl but I was never made feel different in terms of um like oh you're in the girls division you know which sometimes people come in like you had two matches for your for your gold I had seven matches for my bronze or whatever you know but I think for me I never had that so once I had seen I thought the other the the flip side of the coin I was like wow I am so grateful for the introduction that I had you know yeah yeah well it is is what it is I think that that um that patience that you have to learn from jujitsu I think that's one of the the most beneficial things you know that it does yeah. it just there's no way around it like you've got to just keep going back i think that's why it. a lot of people give up jujitsu an early stage when they get to blue belt they um they feel like they've achieved something but they want to know so much more and you just can't you can't process all of those all of the techniques the information and technique after technique and then relearning everything 
that's I think that's personally why people do drop off. They've achieved something and then they just go. And, and also, I mean, you know, the, your body takes. I don't I don't know how you found in terms of your body changing with with jujitsu, but certainly for me, sort of coming to it a bit later, starting a bit later. I, I, I sort of started training regularly when I was 44 and I, I felt it, it reminded me again of being like 15. Like my yeah. fingers started to, to change, my wrists yeah. started to change, my neck started to change. It's kind of like, and you come home and you're hungry, like yeah. <laughs> I need food, like proper, you know, my skeletons yeah. needs to grow some more bone, like I've got mm. to eat something. But but yeah, I mean it, it's you know it's it, that that's that's part of the beauty of it is that it just forces you to just go on the journey, because you know if you think if you with the with the the stage well both of you guys last year got your black belts right, mm-hmm. so you know if you imagine that you could have kind of done a matrix you know plug something in the back of your head okay I know jujitsu would rob you of that whole journey. Mm. The, the, the yeah. journey is kind of the. The, the beautiful thing because I don't, I don't know how you found you know you've, you've obviously won quite a lot of stuff but often I find after there's a big sort of event there's a, there's a bit of an anti-climax afterwards do, have you, do you find that? Absolutely I couldn't agree more and I think it's not, it's not spoken about enough like um, like I've won some things but you know but it's, I've definitely been on I've been on the sidelines for a lot of Fionn stuff you know, which is like this, the top, the, the top, like the number one, <laughs> can't get higher. And I think I have seen that through her eyes and I've seen that her, like following her experiences. And like, for me, whenever, like, if, well, even after no gyuros, I was like, oh, grand, so I'm going to get pasta, delighted, you know. And I, like, we were late for the airport after I got my medals. So I was like, we have to boot it. So it was like, for me now, I think after a lot of, I suppose, inner work or whatever over the last few years, I have taken a lot of I've taken a lot of my worth and separated it from jiu-jitsu where it was quite enmeshed for a very very long time but I have seen it as well with these superstar athletes where it's like they create history they literally write history in terms of jiu-jitsu but afterwards it's like it's a fucking plastic medal you know and there's so much pressure put onto them obviously a lot sometimes from the environment sometimes from themselves you know and to see the anti-climax, like you said, it's so, like, it's so, like, it's so eye-opening, you know. And I think seeing it in the last two years, I really saw, like, it has been so fantastic the last two years. Like, just, like, to go to these things that I have competed at, I've attended, like, for whatever things. I Like, the first what Irish person to do whatever. It's, like, it's been so amazing. But I have seen the other side to it so so much more where it's been so eye-opening to see that somebody like like Fionn winning to being the first British person to ever win ADCC you know and it's like it's historic and it's like and then it's like then you have to be okay off the mat as well you know and like she is now like she's thriving she couldn't be doing better but it was just so interesting to see these people who I've watched for years, you know, who I've been a fan of, and it's like a lot, and this is not specifically to Fionn, this is to everybody that I've met in the last two years, is because me and Fionn have to speak about this a lot, it's a really interesting topic that we have. A lot of the self-worth is like, I'm a jiu-jitsu athlete, you know? And for me, following COVID, like COVID went on for fucking four years in Ireland, and there was multiple lockdowns, nobody trained, it was just, it was like, just a blackout moment in my brain anyway. And 
when I lost jiu-jitsu there, I suppose, and like as messed up and as screwed up as it all got, I was so lucky in some ways because I lost jiu-jitsu back in 2020 and I was like, who the fuck am I? I was like, oh my God, I don't like, I had had a great jiu-jitsu journey up until that, but I hadn't really been working on myself as a person. It would have been Rosa, the athlete. And I think following um, the bones of what, like two years of lockdowns, coming back off the like the end of it and going back into the gym in Cork and stuff and trying to get back to some form of normality, it was like I had to figure that out. I had to make that separation. I'd be like, if I win this medal, it's like, oh, yeah, I'm happy. But it's like, no, no, I need to be happy when I leave the arena. You know, I need to go, I may need to be able to sit with myself when I go home to my family. You know, I need to like, you have to, I think it's so important to separate person and the athlete because for me when I lost it I was the worst version of myself you know when I lost it over COVID and now in like when I turned 26 in the next whatever many years if I do retire from competing it's like I have to be like I, I will lose that again you know I'll lose that competitive side to my life and it's like I have to be a good and I have to be a content person when just isn't there as an outlet you know so it's been like really eye-opening experience for me because I experienced it and had to deal with it and then to see it's still going on in all of these superstar athletes that I've met in the last few years so it's been really interesting I mean you see it a lot with with retired fighters particularly but Mm -hmm. you know retired athletes sports people footballers and whatever you know when, when you can't kind of go and do your thing anymore think exactly kind of as you as you said like actually who are you like, if you're not a footballer anymore, yeah. if you're not a jiu-jitsu athlete anymore, if you're not a boxer anymore, whatever, like, mm. who are you? What else What else do you do? What else do you think about? What else, you know, fills your life? What other relationships do you have that are not yeah. gym relationship and trainer relationship exactly. and all of that stuff? Yeah, I mean, it's... it's but I think, I think that, that maybe is the... Certainly the responsibility on you as the athlete to, to kind of sort yourself out. But mm-hmm. also the if you have a good coach, and we've talked about this on a few episodes, the, the difference between um, sort of a teacher and a coach or a trainer and a coach. You know, a coach yeah. will kind of... Um, try to help you in all areas of your of your journey not just your jiu-jitsu or you've got a wrestling guy or you've got a stand-up guy or whatever you know so so hopefully you 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 can kind of find people along your journey wiser people older people or you're just watching people who are ahead of you by a couple of years or, or whatever and kind of seeing, okay, I do need to fill in all these other gaps. You know, like like within your jujitsu, you're trying to fill in, okay, I don't like playing guard or I don't like passing on the left side or whatever mm-hmm. it is. But also, you know, there's there's all these other gaps like what do I do when I'm not competing and yeah. what do I do when I'm when I'm not training over Yeah, really, really, really interesting. I was talking to somebody today about jujitsu being an addiction, but it's a healthy addiction. So if you're not competing and training at a high level or maybe not coaching, you have to fill the gap and find another healthy addiction. So uh, all these footballers, they go off the rails when they've left um, being a professional footballer. You know, we've seen it in the past where they end up becoming alcoholics and stuff. But there's a lot of them who end up going into presenting and they find that gap. And that's... 
that's important for jiu-jitsu athletes as well when they get to that stage because there's a lot of it well we've been talking about it recently where people are getting into jiu-jitsu at a later stage in their life there's a guy at St Albans and he's in his 60s now and and when we were saying about the jiu-jitsu sanctuary they've got over 50s classes so hopefully if people look after themselves if they learn to do mobility training they can keep that healthy addiction after they've been um, competing at a high level. So yeah, I mean, there's always kind of continue. mid-level competition, right? Mm-hmm. Any, any, you know, like they say, any given Sunday. I mean, any given Sunday, there's 50 jiu-jitsu competitions <laughs> yeah. somewhere, right? If you feel like, oh, you know what, I want to compete. <laughs> yeah. There's there's somewhere within, mm-hmm. you know, 10 miles of where you're sitting right now where yeah. there's some kind of competition that you can go to. So I think I think in that sense it's, it's nice. I guess it's just difficult kind of when you are talking about competing, like you say, at a high level, kind of world-class level, then dropping down to, you know, the North Finchley Invitational, you know, where there's 15 people there. But you can still go there and and compete right and and get your little fix of 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 competition and i think it kind of does boil down to that like that dopamine hit like that i suppose like the adrenaline or like the adrenaline dump would come after it but with the dopamine hit like okay it's obviously fucking monumental coming from what like like a world championship or a european championship or adcc or whatever it's monumental but as well the it's going to be followed by a massive adrenaline dump so i think it really takes a lot of inner work like I'm a massive fan of anything to do in terms of mindset and therapy and everything I think that's such an overlooked part of any most sports you know and especially like what you're saying with the footballers like uh, apparently it's a big thing in judo as well because obviously with uh, team GB Jodu I'm not that as Jodu and I've made up word today it's been a long day with judo is that like they come, it comes to a point, and it happens res- with wrestling as well, where you age out or you retire in your early 20s. And, like, you have been a professional athlete for the majority of your late teens, early 20s, that if you don't go into coaching, and I think in judo, based on what Julia uh, Scardoni, who is a former um, judoka, um, she told me, is like, there's a very, very small percentage of people who have who go into judo coaching, maybe it's to do with, I suppose, the the need for it. I'm not exactly sure of the reason, but all of the athletes that were in, like, and they're all in Camberley and stuff, it's not many of them go into coaching, which is the only real avenue. So I think following that, like, they're kind of rudderless, you know? And, like, and when she told remember, we had a conversation about it, and it was, like, that was how I felt during COVID. I was rudderless. I was like, I've no, like, I've no idea what to do. And, like, that, mm-hmm. that analogy of the footballers as well, like, you try and find that like that's some bit of a niche that is some bit remotely near to near to what you were or what you were achieving, but I think it really takes it's a little bit to do with ego about like okay I did do all these things but now I can change my mindset on I can go to the to the Finchley Invitational and I can be there as a mentor and I can help them I can be there as like if it's some superstar jiu-jitsu person whatever it's like i can be there in a different context i don't have to be the biggest name in the room anymore and i noticed it sorry i'm gonna have more of a tangent i've noticed it with the girls in cork especially is for me when i so i got promoted to brown belt in 2020 and after that then i competed a few times in ireland before i left for um for the u.s and like 
the biggest issue there was not no girls were competing and I was missing out on these these like these high level rounds these high level competitive like matches so that's why I went to the US and like now that I've come back and like I'm back in Ireland full time is I'm like I'm like I don't feel like I'm missing out anymore I went and did it I went and I did it and I had the best time it was the coolest experience I've ever had but the girls were coming up in BJ Cork and Team FM they're the two tr- the gyms that I train at is that like they're crying out for matches. They're all messaging me like, can you help me find a match? Do you know that girl in my division? Can you send her a message? See if she'll sign up. And it's like, all these girls are missing out so much. And I was in their, their position. And like, I could go back to America tomorrow. I could, and I could go, I could move. I have the opportunity. I could do that. I don't particularly like America. <laughs> I want to be back in Cork, simple as. But what I can do with my ego, you know, is I can adapt it and be like, I can be here as a mentor for these girls. I can match them up to the best of my ability I can help them find matches I can help them with their competitions you know and there's uh, one of the girls in Dublin Zara de Tofano. I'm I lost to Zara like last year you know and I just think like somebody like that like what is she she's 19 20 she's like incredible and I just think that my ego like I can't have an ego with this she is somebody who was a yellow belt when I started she was a child you know and it was like I can catch my ego you know and like I helped I helped corner her at in Nogi Worlds you know with her coach and it was like I can train my ego and I was like I can be there for her in a different context you know and she messaged me after she beat me and she was like I was like I watched so much your matches for this match and like I'm such a big fan and her coach messaged me and it was like I'm so like I'm so I felt so like appreciate it sounds so weird coming from my opponent you know but it was such a lovely thing I was like yeah I want to give something back to the Irish community you know as I went and I left I got the experience but now I can be there for these girls in a mentor role in facilitating matches role and I love that you know but it definitely took some tweaking of the ego like which is massive and and so um do, do you feel like over these past couple of years that women's jiu-jitsu has changed and is being getting more kind of coverage and is being more appreciated? Because I think, um, I mean, I don't actually follow sort of competitive jiu-jitsu that closely, but I can see that Fion has generated like a lot of interest in just jiu-jitsu. Mm. People are like, have you seen this woman? She's beating everyone. You know, it's not like because she's a woman or whatever. It's yeah. just like the, oh, there's, yeah, yeah. there's this real dominant kind of fighter. And um, I, I don't know whether you're, are you sort of an MMA fan, UFC? And yeah, I fought MMA in the past. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which was what, something I was going to actually ask yeah. you about. But what, what I was going to say was, was I, I, I don't know whether how, how far back Ronda Rousey was maybe Eight years, ten years. Twenty eighteen. When she started. Yeah, in UFC. Would have been no, 20, she was fourteen, twenty fifteen. Like she was. She was in Invicta before, wasn't she? Yeah. So getting on for ten years. Yeah. And I and I you know I was a, a UFC fan and and uh, you know I remember Dana White very um, specifically saying women will never fight in the UFC. Mm. It's just not suitable for women. No one wants to see it. I don't want to see it. It's never going to happen. And then she pretty much was the biggest star at the, that point when she, when she blew up that they'd ever had. You know, they sold Absolutely. more pay-per-views for those fights than they'd ever sold before. And he basically said, you know, if I'm wrong, I say I'm wrong. I was wrong. Mm. We, 
we having women in the UFC kind of thing. Mm-hmm. But I wonder whether you feel like we're kind of reaching that one of those kinds of moments in jiu-jitsu where because of the kind of high-level women's competition and the fact that people are looking for something to watch, they want something exciting to watch, do, do you feel like women's jiu-jitsu is, is kind of reaching that watershed kind of moment? I think so. Um, and I actually have a, a nice analogy in terms of um, like jiu-jitsu and MMA. Like, for instance, now with Ronda, she was so dominating never really talked shit you know just did her thing did her judo got her submissions and it was like right i'm heading home now and same with fion she doesn't talk shit she is the biggest messer ever if she started talking shit no one take her seriously you know so it's like and that aspect to fion is another reason why she's so endearing is because she's so like so authentic like so like authentically herself you know there's no shit talking there's no bad blood she just wants to do jiu-jitsu and then that's why like we became friends because of rosa the person and fion the person and we just happened to do jiu-jitsu as well which is really really lovely and i think that's why we've we've we got so close is because i wasn't friends with her because that's the superstar she wasn't friends with me because i'm not really superstar but like she wasn't friends with me because oh we just do jiu-jitsu that's something we have in common we just like we were friends with the people outside of the mat you know i think that's really important uh, that i wonder why i cherish that friendship but in terms of fion she's very similar to ronda in that capacity where it's like just so athletically dominant and then if you try if you kind of make that comparison to the guys is that like with conor mcgregor and gordon ryan is like both are great athletes i don't particularly like either of them but i can't you can't deny that they're neither of them are not great athletes but then they've got all the bullshit, <laughs> which is what sells the fights and gets eyes on the, on, on the, the matches and the shows and everything, which I understand in terms of business. But I think what people are maybe moving more towards is having just a, pure, like, like just a dominant athlete who is fun to watch, who is aesthetically, like their jiu-jitsu is aesthetically pleasing because it's that knee cut, you know, it's like all the judo stuff from Fionn and from Ronda, you know. And I think... Or maybe moving away from all the shit talking of Connor and Gordon Ryan. Like, I don't know anybody who likes Gordon Ryan. Like, you know, in terms of an athlete, it's like, yes, absolutely. But I just think that with, I suppose, the society that, or this, the environment that I keep, it's that, like, we just want to watch great jiu-jitsu. That's like, it's like, you know, like slick stuff and everything. And Gordon does give us that, but... It's with Fionn, it's like you don't get any of the, the background noise, you know? Mm. And I think it's way more endearing for me anyway. Even if I didn't know her, I'd be like, that is class. Look what she's doing to everybody. Like, that's so class. And she just wraps up and goes home. That's it, you know? It's not a case that she's out partying online. You know, all the ex- added extra stuff that the boys bring with them, you know? And I think it's just, it's just, it's very, it's very simple. It's the pure science. And we went back to what I, what I kind of, one of the reasons why I fell in love with jiu-jitsu. And it's like, it's just there for the jiu-jitsu. Just go be, be an asshole offline, please. <laughs> this is like Connor and Gordon. Like, so I think. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. It, it is kind of the going back to what we would hope the essence of a martial artist is, right? Exactly. You're That's there for it. the martial yeah. art and, 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 you know, 
that's the purity of what you're doing is is the most important thing yeah yeah it's, it's interesting so can can you just run me through quickly when you were competing what what did your training look like in terms of kind of your I don't know, a normal week as far as your training and food and sleep and recovery and all of that kind of stuff like the, the more boring the more effective it was you know it's like I would train, depends on where it was, obviously, I'd train in, like, the lunchtime class, the pro class, that would be maybe two hours, and that would be, depending whether I was in New York, whether I was in Mount Vernon with Daisy Fresh, whether I was in Cork, I would train in the lunchtime class, uh, Monday to kind of Thursday, I'd have the evening session where sometimes I'd be coaching, like, I coach sometimes in Cork, or otherwise I'd be just training myself, and then I'd just have, like, three meals a day, very simple, very basic, and I would be asleep from maybe 11 to 8-ish then. So, like, it's Groundhog Day. Like, if I'm in a proper training camp, it's like Groundhog Day, but I love that, you know? I love the simplicity involved in that, and I think sometimes, I in the past, I have overcomplicated it, where it's like, okay, I need another seven minutes of, of sleep to be on, like, on peak or whatever, you know? Where it's like, once I'm content, once I've got, like, once I do things as well, which could kind of come back to we've got, we spoke about earlier, is, once I'm doing, like, non-jiu-jitsu things with my friends. Like, me and my friend, she lives quite close to me. What did we do? We painted candles. She came over and we had, like, a girl that we painted candles. And we had, um, we, like, watched a movie. And we, like, ordered a takeaway or whatever. And it was, like, just so simple. And I was, like, this is what normal people do. <laughs> They're not, like, stressed. i got to get to training in ten minutes, you know. And it was, like, it was on at the weekend or something. But it was just complete removal from my job you know which it is and I was like oh this is just so nice and stuff like that is like the outlet that I have from jiu-jitsu then which is weird because jiu-jitsu was my outlet and I'm trying to get an outlet from jiu-jitsu so I think like the more boring and the more simpler my routine is and ter- what it was as well in terms of preparing for competition the better mm. and and how how does that change then when you are actually in uh sort of your normal I know years training against an actual camp. Do, do you do you do do you say okay, I'm eight weeks out, and I've actually got to start working on certain things I want to develop, or mm. do you you know maybe who you're fighting and you're trying to develop a game plan. What, what do you do anything differently in the kind of the final weeks before you're fighting, or do you just really um, stick with that same plan? A bit of both, really. Like I do like to stick to the plan. Like I don't like to obviously within reason like I don't like to cater my game to someone else's game because they could be doing the same thing to me you know we end up just like kind of missing each other then like if I have a a a good passing game they might try and get a good passing game they may try and wrestle with me when I'm wanting to pull guard you know so I think in terms of adapting my game for a certain person I think it's good to know what are their their strengths um but what I usually do is like when if I'm ever like facing a specific person I um that'll be all done in like the pro class or the lunch class where there'll be somebody there who will like I suppose like I have guided roles like I'm rolling with somebody and he'll be like okay person on bottom or the person I'm rolling with do x y and z okay and then Rosa deal with it in this reason and through these steps so it's stuff like that where it's kind of like you're troubleshooting things and for me like I think uh like when I went traveling, I didn't have a coach, you know, and then I went to Daisy Fresh, I was there for a few months, and then I was an essential for a few months, so I missed having the coach, or even, like, the trainer, because, like, 
I love Jiu Jitsu, but it's t- it's a lot of responsibility to take ownership of my own training and be like, if I want to succeed, you know, I'm gonna have to watch these matches, like do X, Y, and Z in order to achieve this goal. Whereas like I loved handing that off because I was like, I'll do what anybody says, you know. I was like, just tell me what to do and I'll do it, you know. But then the as the responsibility of having to do this, like having to like, okay gotta get up gotta get to this session now and I have to go and work on x y and z but I have to remember it myself that was quite hard so I think coming back to Ireland has been great in terms of I can hand off my training and like yeah it's the lazy option I'm not gonna lie but I I learn really well and I perform very well when I'm just being told what to do on the mat you know we spoke about um me and Jolie earlier but I suppose the analytical approach versus the instinctual approach you know and I think for me like I'm not necessarily analytical, uh, but I'm like I rely a lot on my instincts in terms of like nogi, especially where you can kind of get away with being a lot more. Like if you're athletic, you can get away with a lot, you know. If you're like if you're fast, but I think with um having somebody like in my ear who I can hear, it's like telling me what to do. Literally, just do what to do with my hands or what to do with my legs or where my weight should be, um should be sitting or whatever. Is that's the best way that I get coached, and I had that before I went traveling, you know. So. Like I had two, like I had Felipe and I had somebody else who was like my coach for the bones of eight years and then they created the competitor that I was. So I think I knew that and before I went traveling and I never really found that again until the last couple of months, honestly, where I'm back in Cork, I'm back with these people and they know me, I know them, I've known them since I was 17, you know, they are family to me now. So it's so lovely that it's kind of like I've just like slotted back in but with a whole load of new experiences. So yeah. Com- in terms of competition, I'm assuming you, you kind of go with a game. You've got a strong game. So you like passing and trying to be dominant from stand-up and that kind of thing. How, how did you go about developing a game? Did, it, did that kind of happen quite early on or did you find initially you're playing guard for six months and you think, oh, I don't like that, I want to try something different? Yeah, how did you kind of get to the, the, the point that you're at in terms of where you like to, the, or the way you like to compete mm-hmm. at the moment? Um, I think at the very start, and Jolie probably will agree with me here, is whenever I pull guard, I used to just get like, just flattened, you know, with all the, because I was rolling with men, you know, and I was like, what, a 17-year-old girl rolling with like 80 kilo men, you know, and I was just like, oh god dear god just get off me I was like, i'm not staying on bottom anymore so i literally just adapted my game to save my face to be honest um and then in terms of the passing it was like oh this isn't too bad i can just like i can try and do some takedowns try and do some judo or whatever from the top and if they pull guard great and i'll just keep trying to take them down until i get the takedown or whatever so i think at the start i adapted to play the top position because I was rolling with a lot bigger people at the time just because they were the ones I was training with. So then I gradually progressed then towards doing in competition and then learning how to actually wrestle properly and learning how to pass and stuff. So yeah, it was just a product of my environment really where every time I pulled guards, I was just getting just like smashed. <laughs> and do you, do you feel like that kind of is, that suits your style the best and you will kind of keep playing that, that game? You don't mm-hmm. feel like, oh, I want to start butt scooting. And... I, I love that. I love... <laughs> Playing guard, I just don't have enough um, confidence in it, in all honesty. Like, I, I always try and, I try everything out. I'm, I get in the gym or wherever I'm training, I'll, I'll sit down, I'll wrestle, I'll try to wrestle up, I'll do whatever is 
ever I think is going to work in that situation. Um, I just think in terms of competition, I have found a really niche game that works really well for me. Um, and I will continue playing my A game. My 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 guard game is building for sure. It's not my A game, and it's been a, it'll be a while until I get to my A game. But I think it's an, another exciting challenge that I've definitely overlooked for a long time. So it is building to be hopefully as good as my passing in the next couple of weeks or months or years or whatever. Um, but yeah, I just I think as well then like meeting Fion. Her game is very. I've mimicked a, mirrored a lot of her game as well with like the pressure passing, like the judo and the takedowns and stuff. So now I've got a great mentor in that. That it's like, yeah, this is working really well for me. I'm still building this up. If I completely leave that go, then I'm screwed. You know, that's that's not it's not a great approach to have. But my A game is still here, but the current game is building. <laughs> and and so now this current chapter is going to be seminars for the next six seven months they, something like yeah, that yeah pretty much yeah is that because you've kind of got some competition aspirations for the the tail end of the year yeah like the nogi season would like would be kind of towards the end of the year um and for this the start of this year it's all kind of the gi stuff and i don't have any points so like at ibgf for adult black belt you need um whatever meant points to compete at the majors and i have none because i only got promoted in september um, so I think with that, it's like it's given me a good options. Like oh, I actually can't compete in the gi, you know. So I'll just keep. I'll make the. I'll do the seminars. I'll do all this. I'll travel for a bit, and then when it gets to the summer, um, I'll be able to compete then properly during my season. So hopefully, this time next year, I'll have enough points accrued to be able to compete in the gi division. But it weirdly, the IBJJF system didn't allow me to compete this year in terms of the gi. So I was like, hmm, I'm just like. See how it goes. <laughs> and the the seminars have have you got those all booked in, or are you still just kind of wondering where you're going to go? And pretty much booked in, yeah. So it's all on the weekends. There is a few camps where like I'm away for the five days, but it's all on the weekend because I just love having the routine at home. You know, it's um it's very excuse me. It works really well with my schedule. Like I'm there Monday to Friday. I have my dogs. I have my routine. I get to train twice a day, and then the weekends and I leave and I coach. You know, and it works really well because like weirdly when I was working in the school the most successful that I was in terms of competing was when I was working Monday to Friday in a secondary school in Cork and I'd leave on a Friday evening and I'd compete on the weekend and I'd come back Sunday night for Monday morning again I had no time off but it was I was the happiest I've ever been I have never been more successful in competition I was competing like three weekends a month and it was just like Maybe because it was the routine that I was having, it was like just fit in so well. I was just, I was just so content with that. So I think having the seminars and stuff on the weekends just works really well. Something in my brain just likes the routine of it. <laughs> Sounds good. So I've got some quick fire questions for you. Okay. <laughs> which have mostly got nothing to do with jujitsu, <laughs> kind of. So the first one is: Would you rather fight one horse-sized duck or a hundred duck-sized horses? 100 duck sized horses. Any kind of strategy or? No, no not really. Smaller. <laughs> <laughs> my dog is the size of a, of a duck anyway, so. My two dogs. What, so. what dogs have you got? I have a Jack Russell Chihuahua Cross. He's about, he's like a big duck. And then I have a brand new uh, Chihuahua Cross with a mini pincher who's like a baby duck. It's like a duckling. So if I'm, I'm just judging off that, like I'll be grand. They're a little. No problem. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, if you were trapped in a TV show for a month, what would you choose? Not Friends. a reality show. Friends. 
friends. Friends, yeah. Would you, would you replace one of the six, or would you be like a? I mean, you can't. It's like odd numbers, no good. So maybe yeah. there's a. Maybe it goes to eight. But would you would you replace one of the six, or would you be a, a different character? Um, maybe replace because apparently this is really going off topic. Apparently, everybody who was an extra on that show thought that the like the the, the core group were, were assholes. They were really rude. So maybe I'd like to replace one of those. I could be like in the yeah, guy. Nice <laughs> yeah. Did, do, do you have a favorite? Um, you have one who's I, 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 your I am, I am Monica. To... Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's move on to the next question. Um, if you could go back. To any point in time for 24 hours, where would you go? When would you go? This is really, this is like, nothing to do jujitsu or anything. But what I would do is, this is like, this is going off a really weird tangent. So it's, um, so my dad died last year, uh, last July. And what I would probably do is I had, like I saw him loads before he died. It wasn't the case of that, but I would probably come back. A day earlier because I was on holiday up until the day before and I'd probably come back a day earlier and just like go and see him beforehand so yeah Very and nice. it wasn't a case if I felt like I missed out like you know because it was like like I don't think that he would have wanted me or my sister to see him you know when he wasn't he wasn't in a great spot but it was more a case of like he had the like he has such a bright personality and he had that like that like bubbly personality up until like literally like the last day so it would have been nice to just like, yeah, I don't know. I guess that probably, yeah, there's another That's moment nice. as well, but it's a bit it's a bit too personal. So, yeah. <laughs> Save that for the next one. Um, what's the best piece of advice you ever received? Um, when you're, when life's, when life is getting you down, keep your head up. And when life's up, keep your head down. I like it. Yeah. If you could have one superpower... What would you choose? Probably flying. <laughs> That'd be cool. Because I think in terms of the other ones, like, I don't want to know the future. It'll, it just comes back to the whole patience thing with jiu-jitsu. Like, it'll happen in its own time. You know, and I'd like to think that I'm living my life to the fullest extent. So, God forbid something happens that I have no regrets. And as well, in terms of, like, what other people, like, think, like listening to other people's thoughts, like, dear God, that would be horrific. <laughs> I don't need to know any of that. <laughs> so, flight. Flight's, Flight, yeah. Flight's a good one. Flight's a fun one. Yeah. <laughs> um, who would play you in a movie about your life? Or who would you like to play you? Oh my God, I don't know. What person looks like me? What kind of person? Oh, you can have Courtney Cox. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you know what? I think Emily Blunt, and I reckon that she would have a really good Irish accent as well. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, Emily, Emily Blunt. Blunt. Yeah, yeah. got Emily Blunt. She's nice. Yeah. <laughs> I told you you should sit on the yeah. couch. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, okay. Next question is: uh, You can have ten million pounds or euros in cash right now, but you're being chased by a snail. If the snail touches you, you die a horrible death. The snail cannot be stopped. The snail cannot be killed. The snail knows where you are at all times and it has only one purpose, which is to get to you. Would you take the money? Yeah, absolutely. I would, ch and actually, funny enough, now there was, um, I was watching some stupid show with my mom and it was like they had won $65 million. Um, this was a show I was watching last week and we had, me and my mom had this conversation like, what would you do with $65 million? And like, I, 
like both of our goals imagine being a philanthropist that would be the most most fulfilling job ever um so yeah i would just change all my friends and family's lives and then the fucking snake snake or snail can kill me like i would like there's nothing else that i feel like i'm missing out on but like i'd love to be able to change my mom's life change my sister's life change the rest of my family you know and i've always wanted to like randomly gift a large sum of money to people who i know like are close to me and are struggling financially obviously right now i can't help them i'd love to be able to but i've always wanted to be like you know just like a, a secret philanthropist so what was it 10 million euro they can have oh, 20 20 <laughs> yeah i would change as many people's lives as possible and then the snail can take me <laughs> but don't you think you know if you ask your mom or sister or whoever do you want a million euros but i'm gonna get knocked off by a snail in six months they're gonna say no we want you true true but i think like and i think like because my mom is a buddhist so she's very um very i don't worry you'll come airy, back very, yeah, yeah airy you know which is like no 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 shade to her at all but i think she had nothing to do like my mom of course my mom wants me alive you know but it's more a case of for me it's like look i'm gonna die eventually so i would love to have the opportunity as like a 26 year old to change all the people i care about's lives now and like if i'm around for six months great absolutely if i'm around for six years fantastic it's coming anyway i could die tomorrow you know so i think in terms of that if i had the opportunity to get 10 million euro or 20 million euro it's like those the the change that i could exact with that right now or if i had it is so much more powerful and it would be so much more fulfilling for me whether i was alive or dead or not you know so but that's possibly the answer to my last question, which is, what is the meaning of life? It's not about the journey or the destination, it's about the company. You know, so yeah, that's what I've experienced in the last few years. And I know I, I am only 26 as well, so I have a lot more life to live. But I think what I've experienced is I've won all these things, you know, in terms of like material stuff. I have lost all these things in terms of jiu-jitsu following COVID and stuff. I think at the end of the day, like, if you're surrounded by the right people, if you're surrounded by people who will tell you as it is what you need to hear, but also sometimes what you want to hear, find that balance, um, and you're authentically yourself, you're living by your morals, which unfortunately I didn't for a long time. I think that's really, really important. So I think, yeah, it's the company, not the journey or the destination. <laughs> Very nice. Thank you very much yeah, for coming problem. in and Thank talking. You for me. Are you most active on Insta for social media? Yeah, yeah. Um, what's your Instagram? Rosa BJJ. Rosa BJJ. No underscores, nothing like that. I don't know. Jesus, maybe. <laughs> I, I, I don't <laughs> I know. There is an underscore. Is an underscore? I'm sure. I thought I thought there might have been, but I'm not. There yeah. is an underscore. Yeah, there is an underscore. So Rosa <laughs> underscore <Yeah>. BJJ. <laughs> um, and uh, where can people see where all the seminars are going to be? There's one of the posts on my Instagram. There's, okay. I probably should pin it or something. But, um, yeah, so, uh, yeah, it'll be a pin. It's the pin. It will be the pin post in the next five minutes. <laughs> so if you if you want to go and get yourself to a seminar any time over the next six, seven months. Yeah. And where's the, you're, you're, you've got some quite far away. Where's the furthest you're going? The furthest was Canada. That's the one that I'm going to in May. Um, that's the furthest one and like I've gone to Thailand doing seminars like it's hilariously funny <laughs> like what am I doing at these shows like at these like these events like uh, there's a Ronin Jiu Jitsu camp is on in Ibiza in September and if you look at the it's just it's, I just have to laugh at it because it's like if I if you have looked in my brain 
I love jiu-jitsu, but it's like, I just do it because I like it, you know? I happen to have won these things, whatever, by the end of the day. I'm no superstar in comparison to these people. There's Theon's on the, on, is coaching on this camp. Espin is coaching on this camp. Heron Gracie, Danielle Kelly, and me. It's the fun, it's just like, I just, I'm so entertained by it. I get, I get all these amazing opportunities. Um, yeah, so I just am going along with it. And I'll go along with it until I can't anymore. And then I'll just go back teaching. They're crying out for teachers in Ireland. Like, there's no teachers. They're all leaving for Australia and Dubai. So, like, I could get a job tomorrow in teaching if this all fecks up. You don't fancy going to Australia or Dubai? No, no. Hearts no. in Ireland. Yeah, it is. I'll go for, like, a holiday. And I've always wanted to go to New Zealand. Um, cause I used to play rugby back in the day. And, like, Munster is a... Ma- actually, Mon- rugby is so big in, in Ireland. Um... So yeah, I so I love to go to New Zealand, like to go to see like a proper like to go to see the hack. I go see like a Maori, like I got meet all like the, all the Maori tribes and go to the Milford Sound and stuff. So I've always wanted to go there, but yeah, no. Beautiful. So if anyone's listening who's got a jiu-jitsu club in New Zealand, I was I was I was offered. I was supposed to go to okay. Australia last year, and my visa got got messed up. So I was supposed to go to Australia. Um, for two weeks and then go to New Zealand for a week doing seminars there. And I was like, that's just the funniest thing ever. It's like, who are these people who want me to come to their gym? Um, but then there was an issue with my visa, so I wasn't allowed to go on the plane. It was just a disaster. But, um, yeah, so the next time, now I'm looking forward to it. Fingers crossed I'll be able to go the next time. Beautiful. So thank you again for coming in. Oh, thank, thank you for the you. seminar today. The seminar was awesome. Um, we had Euros flu last week, so we would. Even like yesterday, Gosha was saying to me, like, do you think we're going to be all right at the seminar? Do you think we're going to spar? I'm like, I don't think we're going to spar. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it was it was amazing. So thanks for the seminar. Thank you for the podcast. It's lovely to meet you. Thank you, Jolie, again for another guest. <laughs> Jolie, you've provided probably like 40% of everyone I've ever had in the studio. So thank you for bringing me again, another awesome guest. Thank you guys for listening. I know everybody's time is precious. So if you stayed with us all the way through, thank you. Hope you uh, enjoyed the episode. Don't forget to follow wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed on YouTube. Uh, give us a thumbs up. Share the episode. Uh, it helps us to uh, improve our reach. New episode comes out Tuesday, every Tuesday at 5 a.m. And we'll catch you next time. Mind, right? Please, you